You work hard to build your business. And as a smart and savvy entrepreneur, you understand the importance of protecting your business. This podcast is brought to you in part by True Shield Insurance Incorporated, underwritten by Northbridge General Insurance Company. True Shield Insurance was made for you. It takes a hands-on approach and understands the startup community's culture and needs. Get coverage insurance for your startup starting at just $29 per month. Visit trueshieldinsurance.ca today and get the right insurance solution for your business needs. Welcome to Startup Newsweek, your source for news affecting entrepreneurs in Canada. My name is Cyprian Shalankiewicz and today is May 10th, 2016. In the news this week, during Startup Canada Day on the Hill, more than 1,000 entrepreneurs joined Startup Canada in the capital last week to contribute to government and policy discussions and input into Canada's innovation agenda. Here's what some of the participants had to say. My name is Nilifer Erdbel. I'm with Spring 2 Innovation. I'm one of the facilitators at the Hackathon. Design thinking is a good way of of tackling complex problems, bringing in different ideas, different perspectives together, and focus on customer, client, citizen to create solutions rather than looking at the challenges around it. Liz Connell and Paul Walkley, co-founders of African Bronze Honey, a B Corp startup empowering bee farmers in Africa with organic, fair trade honey, received $15,000 worth of prizes as the winners of the Startup Canada Demo Day on the Hill competition powered by UPS Canada. 51 immigrants made their way to Canada through the Startup Visa program as of May 2, 2016. Another 50 applications are currently being processed. While government is championing the five-year pilot program as a success, Canada's startup community says that the need for talent is urgent and there's a real need to double down on Canada's commitment to ease the flow of entrepreneurial talent for our high-impact startups. According to a study released by Carleton University, BMO Financial Group and the Beacon Agency, Companies with female CEOs only received $1.5 billion in VC funding as compared to the $50.8 billion that companies with male CEOs receive. The culprit? The perception that women are more risk adverse is hindering their ability to receive funds. And welcome to the new startup community, Startup Revelstoke. Startup Revelstoke, led by community leader Jean-Marc Laflamme, launched at Startup Canada Day on the Hill on May 5th. Welcome to the National Network. One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today. Disruption, investment, work-life balance. Delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Startup Canada Podcast Show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of 
Canadian entrepreneurship. Here on the show is where we fill you in on trends and opportunities and possibilities for your next step as an entrepreneur and where we have conversations about advancing entrepreneurial growth and success in Canada. Today's episode is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in building a financially fit and fundable business. Get 50% off, that's right, 50% off QuickBooks online today by visiting intuit.quickbooks.ca forward slash start right. To any of our new listeners, remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast in the iTunes store, then visit startupcan.ca to join the network to connect to support, mentors, training, funding, space, and to your local startup community. Today, we are welcoming to the show, Sean McCormick. He's the president and founder of an iconic footwear company, Manitoba Mucklucks. Today, we will discuss what goes into building a global brand, going global while maintaining core values and principles, scaling and building support for Aboriginal entrepreneurs in Canada. Sean lends his culture to his business by incorporating Aboriginal designs into handmade footwear. His company, Manitoba Mucklucks, has quickly grown to become the Canada goose of footwear with its unique handmade designs. He is the winner of the 2010 Excellence in Aboriginal Business Leadership Award and Startup Canada's Go Global 2015 Prairies Award winner. Throughout his time as president of Manitoba Mucklucks, Sean has overseen a global supply chain and high-performance team of nearly 100 staff. Sean, what a great honor to have you on the show today, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, look, you've been uh, you've been known to have said this is a company that is really from the community. I really am a Mateys man growing up wearing Mucklucks. So, first of all, you know, for us guys and gals that don't know what a muckluck is, what is it? A uh, muckluck is a boot made by the indigenous people of North America from furs and leathers and adorned by beads. Um, it's the warmest, most comfortable, and, and probably the most quintessentially Canadian winter boot there is. Um, and it's as old as footwear. It's, it's what people have been wearing here for 10,000 years. Very cool. So uh, how did you go from wearing mucklucks to ultimately getting into the business of uh, selling them? Give us the, give us Sean's story. Well, I, uh, yeah, like you said, I've been wearing mucklucks all my life. I'm, uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Northern Manitoba. My mom's side of the family's from, uh, far North. My grandpa was a trapper, actually had a sled dog team and all that good stuff. Right. And, uh, so that was part of my, um, you know, my upbringing. I worked in the tanning business, so I actually tanned the leathers and furs and I'm a hunting and fishing guy. So kind of all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and back in, uh, back in the tannery, I was working there after school, after high school and, um, I set up a trading post where I would trade the leather and furs that I had tanned to First Nations ladies who were hand-making one-of-a-kind mucklucks. Mm. I would then take those mucklucks and sell them to uh, footwear stores, and that was sort of the impetus for the uh, for the idea. So did you sell your what you had tanned to the ladies and then buy back the boots to then resell to the community? No, it was like a straight trade, so it was really like a trading post. <laughs> it was a business that could have existed 200 years ago. Oh, and that's so, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Really, It really was neat, so it was First Nation dealing with with Métis dealing with uh, European or Caucasian. So it was pretty cool. And that was the idea. I could never get enough of the product. I thought, you know what, 
I, I can uh, I can do this myself. And do any of those ladies that you were trading with do they uh, do they work with your business now? Yeah, we've we've developed something called the uh, Storyboot Project where we help the ladies that are it's mostly ladies, but not all some yeah. men still right. making the handmade stuff in their homes. Uh, we yeah. help them sell them across the globe now, so uh, kind of come full circle. Yeah, really cool. Good for you, man. Well, look, uh, you got some cool celebrities that are connected to your brand: Kate Moss, Megan Fox, Cindy Crawford. Um, first of all, have you met any of them? Uh, no, I haven't had the uh, good fortune of doing that yet. Well, they're going to want to meet you for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, why do you? What's what's the draw to your footwear? And you know, I, I get the I get there's a you know there's a story behind it, and I get that there's a comfort level behind it. But what what else is there to your boots that's really making it special? Well, like you said, there's you know there's different reasons for different people. The brand itself, you know, the 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 social impact part of it is definitely one part the product performance you know these are the best most comfortable boots you can buy that's got it there's fashion um there's art a lot of our consumers the art of uh you know the beadwork and just the the way the uh, all the boots are inspired by thousands of years of of uh, indigenous fashion really resonates with people so a number of things and and then in the you know the supermodel uh celebrity realm you got to think it's the fashion thing that, that drives mm. that you got to think that's pretty cool that you've got uh, celebrities uh, uh, buying your products. Yeah, I mean, we're a small company still, so we don't mm. have the advertising budgets that a lot of our billion-dollar competitors have. And mm. so we need to, you know, when we, we're trying to grow the brand and brand awareness, we need to be pretty gorilla about it. And uh, any kind of celebrity endorsements uh, help that way. Hey, do you use social media quite a bit as part of your marketing strategy? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of the platform. Um, mm-hmm. We just don't have big advertising budgets, so we really have to be, we provide content is what we do. We share stories. We, right. we share stories about ourselves and about our community and success. And it's, so it's, it's part, it feeds the brand as well. And it gets the story out there. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm uh, one of my companies. We've, uh, we're a young company. We're six years old and uh, the whole social media platform is in, important to us. And, 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 and on that note, I've been doing some more studying on Instagram. Are you uh are you, is your organization using Instagram as part of your media platform? Yes, and certainly uh, that's handled on the marketing side more than my uh, my expertise doesn't lie there. But we're on we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Obviously, we use Twitter. Um, we do the you know the weekly mail outs for newsletters. So any any which way we can engage with uh, consumers or potential consumers. We yeah, I love that, that word engagement. That's what the relationships are built on, isn't it? Very cool. Um, 35 to 40% of your staff are said to be Aboriginal. Um, can you, you know, that whole community element, whether it's Aboriginal or whether it's Irish or whether it's, uh, you know, the French is so important. So can you talk about the community impact that your business has had, uh, with, uh, with your staff and, and others in the community? Yeah, well, we, we do a lot of stuff. One of them is the Aboriginal hiring policy. So since day one, I've made it a focus to look within the Aboriginal community as, as I grow for, for staffing and, and employees. And so on that Aboriginal hiring piece, it makes a, it makes a big a- impact. It's economic development. Um, it's capacity building within our community. I've got a whole bunch of really high-performing young Aboriginal people learning about marketing or sales mm. or e-commerce or production or whatever, what, you know, what, what have you. Um, and then just the achievement and, and providing 
examples of success in our community that's really important. When I was growing up, it never occurred to me once to start a business that, you know, a global brand that, that wasn't <laughs> in my wheelhouse. Right. And so what one of the roles that Manitoba plays amongst all the different things we do is just that example of, of what's possible and uh, in that inspiration piece. I love it. I love it. Um, your 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 uh, your company like Zappos is very focused in on customer service. Uh, it's very important to you. And uh, for our audience today, uh, do you have kind of the you know Sean's three key pillars of customer service necessity that make your business successful? And you can share that with others to uh, maybe put them in their businesses. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think everybody's are different, but we're very customer centric. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. I, I read every piece of consumer e- um, feedback that comes to us via email or Facebook or whatever. And so I take the, the good stuff and the bad stuff very seriously. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, empathy for the customer is my first point. Um, that's why you're there. And it, it, it it's easy to say, but it has to be part of the second piece, which is part of the company culture. So right. everybody takes um, our consumers' feedback as serious as I do in our organization. Um, you have to. It's just part of our whole culture. It's, it's built into it. And then making customer satisfaction one of your main KPIs, regardless of the department. Um, it's it's one of the pillars of our, our, men, our, our measurement of our performance, regardless of whether it's the actual customer service department or it's production or it's new product development or whatever. It's always kind of core to to what we're doing. Can you give us an example of a situation that you said, man, that was cool. I'm just so freaking proud of my team. Um, we won, you know, we've won a few awards recently. We won a, a Canada Post, a Canada Post uh, Innovation, e-commerce innovation award last year. And a lot of it was having to do with our customer service and our e-commerce platform. And, and you know, we're selling to over 50 countries on that uh, B2C platform now. I'm really, really proud of that because it, it brings everybody together. You know, it's, mm. it's finance, it's production, it's customer service, it's sales, it's marketing. Um, really cool that we got that acknowledgement. And and it's really helping uh, that e-commerce strategy is really helping to drive our brand growth. How do you uh, when you you talked a little earlier about uh, everybody needs to take ownership of the customer experience and so on? How, how do you communicate to the staff if uh, if or the team if uh, if a complaint came through? How does get that information about that complaint get uh, passed to your team? Well, to be honest with you, I pass most of that information <laughs> to the team yeah, and because I read every single piece of feedback. So I find it really um, inspiring um, on the neg- on the positive side, and it tells me what we need to work on on the negative side. So they get a lot of it from me, but uh, we all, you know, we're all engaged with the brand inside the company as well, and just a lot of passionate people. And, and because that's from the top, that culture piece that I'm so obsessed with it, everyone's become obsessed with it and it's just sort of baked into our, our daily routine. Everybody's on our Facebook page or looking at our customer feedback. Email. Nice. We post it all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And we talk to customers that aren't happy. I, I've personally talked to, you know, I probably talked to 10 or 15 customers last year because mm-hmm. I got 10 or 15 negative emails and it, I, and I personally get in contact with them to talk about their issues. And it's funny, isn't it? It's just, they want validation for their concern. That's primarily the reason Do you find that. Yeah. And I also think once they realize that there's actual real people behind the company, that we're not just, 
you know, it's not just some marketing ploy that there's real people kind of living and <laughs> breathing this. And, and, uh, it, it, it shocks people, I would say to get a right. call from the CEO. Yeah. Um, but it also makes them feel like, Hey, maybe I can give this another chance or, Oh, now I get it. And cause not everything's cut and dry. And, um, so some of these things are, are multi-layered and, and just getting a chance to talk to them one-on-one, I find it uh, really valuable as well. Well, that, uh, that whole piece about, uh, about the CEO, um, making the calls or responding, uh, when the calls come in and so on is so critical. I, I, one of the, one of my business, I sell franchises, um, and with my restaurant chain and you wouldn't believe the amount of people who I call, they say, Oh my gosh, you're the first founder of a business that's called me about their franchise opportunity. I, really? Do I get an answer? First of all, let alone, do I have the, the guy call me? So uh, something so simple, but yet, you know, most people don't, uh, don't practice. So lessons to be learned. Super impactful, right? Like yeah, super impactful. Though. Super impactful. Well, uh, talk about impactful. Uh, tell us about story boots and uh, how, how does it differ, differ from mucklucks? And, so uh, story boots are, um, I didn't invent mucklucks as it turns out. Um, we've done a lot. <laughs> with mucklucks and i need to pay that back the community owns mucklucks not not manitoba and so what we just i I couldn't write a check to anybody but (laughs) as we you know as um time moves on some of the culture is dying out and one of those things is the ability this this handmade mucklucks art so that's what a story boot is it's a handmade one-of-a-kind piece of art that's a muckluck that could have you know full beads up the leg that takes hours and hours to make and just really beautiful works of art wearable works of art and the skills for that were were kind of getting lost so one of the things that we've taken up is we want to help make sure that that doesn't die that that culture is preserved and so what we do is we take we work with the people that are hand making these mucklucks and we use our distribution channels to get them in front of a global audience. We sell, you know, we'll sell a pair of, of uh, story boots that were made in Norway house, Manitoba, which is way up at the top of Lake Winnipeg. And we'll, we'll sell a pair to some, an individual in Germany for $1,200 and the $1,200 for those mucklucks goes, all of it goes right back to the artist. Yeah. So not only does that make an economic impact for the artist, it, it helps them keep that art alive. It, inspire some of the kids that might want to take it up which is the next piece of the story boot project is uh we've started something called the story boot school where we're now teaching aboriginal kids all across canada the art of uh, making handmade mucklucks so Mm. something really really proud of your company has a soul Yes, it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have literally and figuratively. So you know, we mm. were mission we're mission driven. Mm. We we talk about this cause, but we're not really a company with a cause. We're we're a cause that happens to have a company wrapped around it, and that's the new way. We yeah. we need to change our communities. You know, the futures. We need to give our kids better opportunities, and you know, part of that's education, but the other part of that is economics. So let's talk about uh, on that regard because you're a big champion as you continue to relay there about the story storyboard school story boot school sorry uh, but you're a big champion of Aboriginal investment and uh, how are you helping to encourage the you know the investment through the participation in the is it the cap fund or cape fund uh, it's the cape fund so so the cape fund is in a is a private equity fund just like any but it was started by former Prime Minister Paul Martin. Mm-hmm. And he's very, very committed to, uh, you know, same causes that I am and uh, changing Aboriginal futures or helping to change Aboriginal futures. So what he did is he put together, it took like the 20 biggest companies across Canada. They put together $50 million 
of a fund and they only invest in private equity in Aboriginal companies or companies that are involved in Aboriginal communities. And so Manitoba Mucklucks was the second company they invested in. Um, really rigorous due diligence process, same process that any private equity would go through investing in any company. Right. And, and the fund is really there to prove out the theory that business and equity can invest in Aboriginal Canada and get a return. Right. So not only can they, you know, they, they base their, their, uh, their fund success, not only on a monetary return, but also on the social return. So it's their, you know, they, I couldn't have a better partner. They've really allowed us to grow, but where we're helping them is we're helping to prove this theory that you can invest in Aboriginal business and make money doing it. And then, and then help change these communities as well. So when you say investment, it's not only investment of money, but also, you know, that gray matter. Yeah, I've learned a lot, um, just a lot of corporate governance. We were a much smaller company when the Cape Fund came on, so they've helped us grow, but they've also helped us set up the structures to grow. Um, so I've just learned a ton. And um, and I like to think that they've learned a few things too, just about hmm. how, you know, how impactful this is, because I tell them all the time, you know, without without this fund, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't be growing as fast as we are. And we're, we're inspiring a whole generation of Aboriginal entrepreneurs out there. And uh, that's what that fund's about. So uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And I want to go back to uh, a reference point of impacting Aboriginal communities across Canada. Uh, You're a Manitoba based uh, organization community. How are you reaching out and touching other Aboriginal communities that are not from Manitoba? Um, you know, in a number of ways, probably first and foremost, um, just that example of success. So uh, one example is I do a fair bit of mentoring. So we have a young Aboriginal woman from Saskatchewan who called me up one day and asked if I would help her because she was creating a new business that was based on the Manitoba Mucklux sort of uh, platform. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, you know, beautiful to hear that. But that inspiration um, from a woman who had never met me, certainly in a different province, that if Manitoba could do this, so could I. Um, mm. And now we're actually helping her mm. to try and do that. That's that. So that's that's the biggest way. Um, and then the Storyboot School and the Storyboot Project is right across Canada. We have artists from every province in Canada and the territories. And then the school is going national now too. So normally I shut down my boardroom and turn it into a classroom um, every <laughs> week for the school. But those classes are being offered in universities now for university credit, if you can believe that, um, at retailers across Canada, um, that it's going completely national and demand is super high. Well, just uh, as a quick side note, my son is in high school and he's uh, taking, if, I, if I'm terminology it wrong, tell me, but he's taking uh, uh, study, some, some classes in Aboriginal culture and uh, he absolutely loves it. He just thinks it's so no, cool. It's, I mean, there's, there's this reconciliation stuff going on now, yeah. finally, and the, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation reports out and it's got to be more baked into to everybody's culture. Right. And I like to think that we're taking part in that. One of the things, you know, the feedback tells me is that both the Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal communities want something to celebrate together. And yes. we're, we're helping with that, I would like to say. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, congratulations on winning the 2015 uh, Prairies Global Entrepreneurship Award through Startup Canada. Thank you very much. It's a fantastic honor for us. Yeah, the uh, and and talking about that, I think Mr. Martin actually was on the stage or receiving an award the same time you were um, from well, at least as, as the Canadian Entrepreneur of the Year or something like that. 
Yeah, he was there and, and he's, he got an award. I can't remember exactly what it was for, but he did get an award and he's probably our biggest fan. So yeah, he yeah. always makes sure to mention Manitoba Mucklucks wherever it is. <laughs> That's cool. So look, how's, uh, how's it, how's it going globally, uh, uh, impacted your business, you know, and how do you prepare for something like that? Um, you know, we we're using, because once again, we're small and we have finite resources. We're, we're really trying to use technology in the web. Uh, to its maximum capability, and we're we're certainly not there yet. But our our e-commerce platform, uh, like I said, we've sold in fifty countries last year. Um, so that's our strategy. It's really a, a B two C play that where we can get in front of consumers and tell our story in a, you know, the internet's very democratizing because, you know, a, a tiny company like us compared to our billion dollar competitors can, can talk to the same person. Right. And we don't have the same budgets, but we're pretty good at it. And uh, we make it our business to be really good at it. And, and it's, so it's, that's been our approach in utilizing these new tools that are out there to, to move forward. And, and it's kind of the theme of our business too, by the way, it's, you know, we're taking a 10,000 year old boot, but we're using all this new stuff to make it, <laughs> you know, to make it and, and move forward. That that's kind of one of the pillars of our, of our brand. Are all your materials, uh, uh, are the materials you use sustainably sourced? Yeah, there's all the materials we use are actually byproducts of the meat industry. So we don't, we're not into materials that are like furs that are trapped specifically for the, for the fur. So we don't mm-hmm. do that. Then that's, I'm not uh, condemning that practice, but it's, it's not something that we not do. Not you guys. Yeah. Not us. It's, it's a choice that we've made. And, and so we're recycling materials from the meat industry, just like, you know, we would have 500 years ago. So that's mm. another one of those tie-ins there. And that's something that we believe in. Um, so did it, did you wake up one day and say, I'm going into the office today and I'm going to announce to the staff after I check to see if there's any customer issues to be dealt with that today we're going to expand internationally. Was that had happened or was it a long process? Yeah, it's, it's a long, long process. And I mean, there's two fronts. We have international supply chains and then we have some international distribution and, um, I would say the supp- international supply was was definitely forced on us. Um, just due to the forces of globalization, a lot of the tanning industry in Canada and, and the United States just went away. And this was, mm. you know, a decade ago or more. And I was forced to go out into the big wide world and, and find materials. So um, that I was forced to do. It was kind of like, do you know, find this material or, or go to business. And so right. and it happened quick. And so we were a victim of that, but we've turned it into a strength now, I would say. And then on the distribution side, um, we, we take baby steps. We, we don't want to bite off more than we can tr- chew, but it's very planned. It's measured. I mean, one of the big things in our company is data. Collect as much data as possible. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't even know what to do with it at the time, have <laughs> yep. it yep. and you'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so we're really big on that. And then that, that helps guide, you know, the steps that we take internationally because those steps are big and, and, and the, you know, the, the further out you, you step, the bigger the mistake can be. And, and we're very cognizant of that. Is that part of your story, Sean? Uh, you know, when you when you see uh, Howard Schwartz with his uh, Starbucks stories, he's in the coffee in the coffee uh, fields, and and he tells that story about uh, about uh, his research and why it's important to connect with the you know the the growers and so on. Do you tell that as part of your story when when how you sourced the, the right manufacturers and materials? 
Yeah, I do. And in fact, we're just in the process of completing a joint venture with our main supplier in Vietnam. And we're going to own the majority of that company because I want to own that supply chain and I want to make sure that it it fits our whole company culture. There's no reason for me that the respect uh, that we treat our staff and our teams with in Canada can't be exactly the same in Vietnam. And it's not, by the way. It's Mm. absolutely. So I'm over in Vietnam three or four times a year. And I have a fantastic partner there, and we do business there the same way we do it here. Um, we we respect everybody. We respect our customers. We respect our our suppliers. We respect our staff, and it's it's part of our culture. And so there's no reason why it has to be different anywhere else either. And you know, I like controlling my own destiny. That's part of the reason why I do this. You know, <laughs> the things that I do, obviously. And so just. Getting ownership of that supply chain was kind of the next logical step for us. So we're just in the we're just in the process of finalizing that, and uh, very exciting for us. That's too interesting. You, you reference that point of control your own destiny um, through the restaurant group. I was talking to you about. Uh, we recently brought in some outside investors, and uh, we um, and so I gave up a lot of the control to go to that next level, and it drives me freaking nuts <laughs> that I gave that up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something you have to get used to, and I certainly went through that when the Cape Fund came in and, right. uh, you know, people put money in your company, they expect something back and, and yes. I get that. Yeah. And so that was uh, part of my growth though. Um, and yeah, a bigger, uh, a smaller piece of a bigger pie. The other thing I would say just to take this back to the Cape Fund and give them some kudos again is the plan has always been to get it back into the Aboriginal ownership. So right. that's always been their key and that's why it was right. such a perfect fit for us. Right. Um, and I really respect that they have that mandate. Cool. Um, uh, our Aboriginal youth uh, right across the country is actually the fastest growing segment of our population. And so what do you believe are the opportunities for these young Canadians besides hanging out with your great organization? <laughs> well, I mean, probably a bigger opportunity for Canada. There's just an unbelievable amount of untapped potential there and value that we've just scratched the surface of because we haven't as Aboriginal youth and just Aboriginal people in general, we haven't been participating in the Canadian economy as much as we should or you used to or will. So that, you know, that potential is being unleashed and, uh, you know, we're part of it, but there's certainly, we're, we're a small part of it. There's certainly people all over the country in the nonprofit sector and the for-profit sector doing a lot of work in this space. Um, the fastest growing part of our population has to be, you know, uh, if Canada is going to succeed, they have to be engaged. I'm going to say that mm-hmm. word again, engaged. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an imperative. It has to happen for Canada and it has to happen for the Aboriginal youth, obviously as well. That's a no brainer, but right. without, without that engagement, Canada is going to suffer. And of course these youth are going to suffer. So that's got to change. It's got to change now. Well, I, I, I and I think part of what you're doing by creating these, uh, these, uh, this divisive celebration that, that, that exists now together versus, uh, as separate communities is really going a long way to do that. Cause you're right. We are looking for a way that we can all celebrate together and, uh, it's great work that you're doing in that regards. Um, now, here's a question for you, uh, specifically related to marrying tech with the with the industry that, that you're involved in. You know, we're, we're just obsessed with IT, the next app, tech device, and so on. In your industry, uh, what further support would you like to see to support, you know, groups like yours in fashion, retail, the non-tech industries? Well, we need to incorporate that tech as just as much um, or more than anybody. So whether, you know, I'm just going through an exercise right now where the the fantastic success we've had with our B2C um, 
e-commerce. I want to incorporate that into our B2B, into our wholesale side, which is our, you know, our core business or the biggest part of our business. And so just, you know, being able to offer that better service to our customers through this this new portal, I'm super excited about it. It's going to really, I think, revolutionize our industry where, you know, people expect a very, very high level of consumer customer service and ease of use and all that stuff. And they're going to expect it on that wholesale B2B side and they already mm-hmm. are. And, and so, you know, we want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of that because it's such a great leveler. Um, the small and medium-sized businesses mm-hmm. out there and the startups are the driver of the economy. We need all those tools just like the big guys have. And so, you know, one of the things I like to see is is uh, we took advantage of a, of a pilot program. Um, it was called the Digital Technology um, Adoption Pilot Program. And they helped us implement an ERP. And it's just changed our company. Um, so we're using this enter- enterprise resource planning software. We've got rid of these old antiquate, you know, everything was on an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> these things didn't talk to one another. And now that we're bringing in all these new apps and all this stuff, we needed this, this central core of our business and it's allowing us to grow. It was like the old stuff was really hurting us. So the government came through there and really they set up this beautiful program and helped us out a lot. And, and we would, it was, you know, it's huge investments of time and resources and without it, once it, we wouldn't be growing as fast or creating many jobs and all that good stuff. So I think that's a way that uh, we can support um, and get, and get more of this IT out there. Cause it's, it's the new way. I mean, it's not mm. going away. We have no, to all adopt it and, and it's better. I mean, quite frankly, it's that's better. right. It is. Yeah. And, yeah. and on that, on that note, um, does, uh, is your, is your team embraced it or is, or has that been a challenge for you to embrace new technology in your business? Of all the things I was warned about, most of which were true, like it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long, um, the my team and teams and all the people that make up Manitoba, they're just so passionate about stuff. Um, I didn't have problems with the adoption and I was told that was going to be one of the big stumbling blocks, but it really wasn't. Everybody in, in our shop wants to do a better job and they see that it's the way forward and everybody wants us to be, you know, I talk about if someone else can do this, so can we, there's no reason why we can't. If someone else can achieve X, so can we. And so I, under those parameters, uh, this technology adoption is, is going, uh, going really, really well. That's awesome. My friend. Well, look, you're going to have the final say. You've got an audience across the country that's uh, been just captivated by this uh, by this interview with your with your great insight, community connection, uh, embracing new technologies, uh, building a niche business, all those sorts of things. So you can't talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> we want to hear. The final word that you say, man, this is what I want to leave uh, this podcast with because I think this is important to say. Well, uh, I appreciate that opportunity. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to bend the rule a little bit. I want to go okay. back to one thing that you brought up, and it's just the you know the fastest growing segment of our population is Aboriginal youth. Yes, that's an opportunity for the entire country. And so we all have to get together, recognize that there is real issues out there, recognize their solutions. And if we all play our part, um, it's going to unleash all this amazing potential. And it's going to be, you know, a huge success story, um, a billion times bigger than the Manitoba Mucklux story, which is, which is a real success story. Mm-hmm. But that's the, you know, Manitoba Mucklux, I think, is a microcosm of what's possible. And if we get together and, and fix some of these issues, recognize them and, and move forward together. So that's, that's uh, what I'd like to impart. I'm glad you broke the rules. That's an excellent point. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sean, for your time today. It's been a real privilege and an honor to have you on the show. 
Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian. Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well, then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular online training events, startup chats, and startup school. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash events for more details. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Rivers Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. And also, I'm pleased to introduce my newest business venture, Coaching by Rockstars. That's www.coachingbyrockstars.com, where I am building an amazing team of business coaches to help entrepreneurs around the planet. If you've got an interest in that, come and check us out. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Business is a chess game, and uh, so you really don't have a lot of time to make that next move based on what you're saying there. No, and you know, just an, another interesting startup perspective is, uh, you know, the the day of the app debatably is long gone now. Everyone's uh, getting into uh, Internet of Things, right? The hardware is the new software, <laughs> and uh, a lot of these these Kickstarter campaigns, Indiegogo campaigns, these little devices everyone's selling, no one's looking at security right now. Mm. It's like the 1990s for mm. software and for apps. It's we're living in the dark ages. We have people building hardware solutions and they do not understand how they safely talk on the internet, where they store your information. How can somebody uh, find something out about you by looking at that piece of hardware uh, that may or may not be intended? So from a startup point of view, uh, folks who have a good security strategy around the physical and the software size of their business are going to be the differentiated organizations in the next year or two. They're the ones with the higher valuation from a technology perspective.